Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with our WrestleMania Fallout edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, as you can tell by the sound of my voice, the Silver King is back home in South Florida in the home studio with the full soundboard. It is a great idea, and we are here just a couple days removed from WrestleMania 37 with our Fallout edition of the podcast. If you have not already listened to our WrestleMania 37 instant analysis, folks, I want you to hear this episode, but I want you to pause right now, go back and listen to that WrestleMania instant analysis, because it is crucial to hear that show before you listen to this one. We went over two and a half hours breaking down WrestleMania, and I know longer is not always better, but from some of the feedback that you guys have already sent us, from some of the feedback we've gotten from people that just started listening to the show and just started following the show on Twitter, hey, we didn't know that people did, you know, pay-per-view reviews like that. It's one tweet I got. Well, yeah, now you know. If you don't know, now you know. Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, that is what we do. But WrestleMania, it's kind of in the books. There's a little bit more to talk about coming out of Mania that we didn't get the opportunity to talk about on that instant analysis. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to talk about all those extra topics. We're also going to dive into the famed, usually, Raw after WrestleMania and break down everything that happened Monday night as WWE began. Not so much its new season, but a new road. I mean, it's pretty much the road to SummerSlam is what they started. Um, I'd say it was a little rocky you know, off off the jump. But we're going to get to all of that in a moment. You guys know the rules. You guys know the job we need to do, the business we need to take care of right off the top. It is all about one thing. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Going back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage, Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by heading over to Apple Podcasts and dropping a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love this damn show. We got a bunch of reviews over the last week. I appreciate those of you who kind of listened to my egging you on to try to try to get it done and went ahead and filled in those reviews. But there are still so many more of you who listen to this show than have actually reviewed it on Apple Podcasts. So please do me the favor, head on over there, drop a five-star rating, leave a couple words, tell people why you love the show so much. Every single review helps us grow. It bumps us up in Apple's rankings. Our goal is to be consistently a top 10 professional wrestling podcast. That's the goal. We're not close right now. We're in, we meander sometimes between like 25 and 50, depending on what's going on, who we interview, what the shows are like. We want consistency. We want listeners. We want to be one of those top tier wrestling podcasts. So we get more interviews and we can do more shows and maybe the Silver King and Chris can make a few bucks. That wouldn't be the worst thing either. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Our followers have been sending us tweets and DMs that we're going to read on the show. You were able to participate in our pre and post show polls. We interact with you throughout Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW while we're watching those shows. And this week, for the first time, we'll be able to do it from NXT and AEW separately, Tuesday and Wednesday. And there's a bunch of other cool stuff that happens on there. I I tweet news that I learn, uh, you know, things that we see, funny things on social media, videos, etc. So don't forget to follow us at Getting Overcast. Okay, that's nearly like a five-minute intro. It is time to get into the show. I do that by welcoming none other than my co-host, 
vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, I don't know if you saw my tweet right before we started. Um, I, I recently came across like pictures of cafeterias at Texas high schools. Are you aware of what's going on here where there's like Pizza Hut Expresses and Subways and they look like mall food courts? I don't know if you saw my tweet, but I'm kind of shell shocked by that. Like what the hell is going on in Texas? I'm looking at this now. I was not aware of this, actually. I don't go into many high schools, especially since COVID and everything started. But uh, and being like, I, I guess it's not surprising. And stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess it's not surprising. When I lived in Arlington, we were two blocks away from an indoor practice facility. And tons of Texas high schools here have full on indoor practice facilities. So I guess uh, a Pizza Hut Express and a Subway um, is not too far a, a step past that. And, you know, pays for them. You know, they probably get some money from uh, the private yeah, companies in order to do works. that. But yeah, uh, Texas, like without going to Texas this week, somehow I've learned how crazy it is. Between that, my stop at Bucky's, I did pass them coming back home from Augusta. And I got to say, I was not attracted to go in. Like I, <laughs> I saw it. I was like, oh, man, you know, those cookies I got were pretty good. And maybe I'll get some of that trail mix again. But then I rem- remembered the like sea of humanity. Uh, if you could even call it humanity, that was at that Bucky's. And I just decided I don't think I will ever go into one again. <laughs> well, uh, I, I guess if you come here to WrestleMania 38 next year in Dallas, you'll have to avoid it. But if I go to Dallas, maybe I'll take you to one I like chaperone you or something like that. If I go to Dallas for WrestleMania, I will only be eating brisket. Like I, it will be three meals of brisket every day for a week. That That will be... Um, or maybe we maybe we can stop at a high school and get some pizza. I, I will not be stopping at a high school while I'm in Texas. I can guarantee you that uh, that will not be happening. But what we will stop doing is talking about high school cafeterias and, and the state of Texas. And we will talk about professional wrestling because that is why we are here. Now, the main event is coming up. It's going to be primarily focused on Raw and everything that happened Monday night. Before we get into that, though, I do want to talk fallout from WrestleMania. There's a number of topics we just didn't get to touch on. We saw that the instant analysis was going long, uh, like I said, over two and a half hours. And there were just a lot of things that I felt like we should tackle separately. So let's kind of go through some of those now. And the one thing, shockingly, that a lot of you asked us was about the WrestleMania format. So let's read some of these questions. I probably got 12 DMs and tweets combined. I'm going to read two. One is from Nicholas Kintanar uh, at K-I-N-T-A-N-A-R. I actually think I said that right. He goes, hope you guys enjoyed WrestleMania. My question is this. Why move away from the two-night format? Both nights were enjoyable and pretty equal in my opinion. I guess the only thing you miss out on is the tradition and the huge spectacle of a massive single-day lineup, which can be tough for fans to get through. What's the thought process here from a business standpoint? And then Black Sabre Jr. at underscore Black Sabre Jr. basically wrote similar with most people responding so favorably to the two-night format, can you present any rationale for going back to a single night? So it's a great question. And I think that whatever WWE decides to do, it needs to be consistent. I don't like the idea of going to one night next year in Texas and then two nights the following year and then two nights and then one night the year after that. It just needs to be a consistent format so that Fans know what to expect. They know how to plan their travel and tickets and all that type of stuff. There are a lot of benefits, Chris, to the two-night format. And maybe we should break it down you know, by the two options and then come to a conclusion at the end. The two-night format, it gets a lot of people on the card, which the one-night format we have seen 
does, but it often shoves a lot of them into the battle royals, basically. Or you get even more multi-man matches than you already do to get all the mid-carders or all the tag teams in. We got two singles mid-card matches, two singles women's championship matches, and one of two singles men's championship matches for the, the world titles. Um, the other thing it does is if you look at WrestleMania 35, which is the closest that we can use for comparison, I believe there were 14 matches on one show, two on the kickoff show, and it was just so long. There was a two-hour kickoff show that lasted forever. The card itself dragged on. All those really long entrances that they did just toppled on top of each other, like to the point where you're just like, all right, get to the ring, get the match going. And that's like not having The Undertaker, you know, for that. Um, and then by the time the main event came around and that show did run a little bit long, I think it was like 1130 midnight. I was just absolutely beat. The crowd was beat and you lose a lot of that heat and energy for the main event. On the other hand, doing a two night situation, you're able to have two main events, which is great, especially since women's wrestling is so prominent now in WWE. It doesn't mean that a women's match will main event night one or night two every single year, but it certainly creates more of an opportunity than it otherwise would. I don't necessarily think, though, that Asuka and Rhea Ripley was diminished because it was the co-main event of night two. So had it been one night and had that spot been Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair, I, I can't even imagine seeing that match back to back with the triple threat. I may have like my head may have blown off if I saw that. Um, but it does split it up. It does keep the crowd energized more. And it allows you to, if you want to do more than seven matches each night, if you want to actually go to 16 total matches, it basically allows you to do that without sacrificing, you know, length of show or anything like that. The one thing that's interesting, Chris, uh, you know, that I don't think it's a negative because of the two night format, but despite them having two nights, all the matches were really short. Yep. So you split them up, which should in theory give you more time for matches. And instead it didn't give you less time, but you booked them shorter. So from a two night standpoint, those are what I think the benefits are. I think it spreads things out. It gives people time to breathe. And, you know, it, it seems like it's um, like a, just a more comfortable situation for WWE. Yeah. And, and I think from a business side, can you do this two nights? It starts with, first off, can you sell out two nights? Well, that's what I was, I was going to talk about the detriments next. Yeah, because, yeah, you, you know, they, they've announced a single date for the next two manias. But when in that preview, that commercial with Stone Cold Steve Austin, they only say April 2022. Right. They didn't say the date. So it's possible this is indeed, you know, up in the air that they could add a second night. And it's it, it, it to me. The biggest thing about two nights is that it gives everybody a, a, a bigger spotlight. Mm -hmm. Every match felt like it mattered because there were only going to be six that day or seven that day, I seven, guess it ended yeah. up being. Yeah. And we talked about WrestleMania more over the weekend. There, there was an entire weekend of my Twitter timeline. Everybody's talking about oh, WrestleMania. Yeah. It's just yeah. simply more of it. And it was enjoyable and it didn't feel like it was being beat over your head. So I really enjoyed two nights. And... I think it's something that should be the norm moving forward. I also think it gives them more time to concentrate and plan out the individual matches and storylines. Not mean not the storylines going in, which I mean we wish they did, right? Uh, we were very disappointed, especially on the raw side, about the storylines going in. 
But when you're there, it's uh, you're sitting there and you say, okay, tonight we have seven matches to concentrate on, not 14. We're going to use our collective brain power to figure out how those seven matches can be best presented. And this was not a perfect WrestleMania. We've, we've said that on the instant analysis, but it was a very damn good WrestleMania. And honestly, I think when we look back on it, when I rewatch it, which I'm going to start doing today, I think I'm going to consider it one of the best WrestleManias of all time because there was so much in there that was very good to great to exceptional that it outweighed the two or three things that we just kind of like, eh, that, that kind of sucked, right? So it gave it time to breathe. It gave WWE more time to promote it. On the negative side, um, well, going to two nights, is it does lose a little bit of a prestige factor. The Super Bowl is not played one half on Saturday and one half on Sunday, right? It, it's played an entire game in one sitting. And WWE, to your point, it's one thing to sell out 26,000 tickets in back-to-back days. Yes. It's another thing to try to sell out 80 to 100,000. And even if they're able to sell out one night, I don't think they would be able to sell out the other night. Unless ticket prices were cut in half where what you would normally spend instead of giving you one show gives you two. But WWE has to pay to rent that facility. So that cuts into their profit margin to do that. So I do think it's going to be very difficult for them to justify going to a big football stadium and doing a two-night show in max capacity. And I don't ultimately know whether they will do that. I think an interesting option could be doing a two-night WrestleMania and have night one be in the arena. Whatever the arena is that they're using for SmackDown, whatever the arena that they're using is for Raw and probably NXT TakeOver that week. And almost having it as like a kickoff to WrestleMania. And you do five matches the night before. And then you do WrestleMania the next night. And WrestleMania is exclusively for you know, those top 10 matches that people absolutely have to see, want to pay big money for, you know, no low card stuff, only mid card and upper card stuff. And I don't know how that would be received necessarily because then it's like, oh, you're on the WrestleMania kickoff show, but that show could still be outstanding. I just think that would probably be a better decision if they're going to do it, than go to two nights. Now, from a pure, if I don't have to worry about business, if I'm not WWE thinking about selling tickets or any of that type of stuff, if it's just fan, Silver King, what does he want? I want the two-night WrestleMania. I enjoyed it. It gave me time to kind of relax between things. I had other stuff going on in my life at the time. And I didn't have to sit in front of my television for seven straight hours and watch wrestling. I'd much rather do two, three and a half hour stints, which is basically what I ended up doing. So for every reason from a fan standpoint, I think two nights is by far the best. But from a business standpoint, I don't know if WWE is ultimately going to go in that direction. They love that sellout number. They love announcing it. I guess they could do the two night total is 160,000, the most ever seeing a WrestleMania. They could probably move to that format, but then you're not selling out entire stadiums. And then what's the point of going into a football stadium if you're going to do that? Maybe you go and start going into a baseball stadium like they do for the Royal Rumble. So, Chris, you know, what do you think about the one night format? For me, the only reason you would do it is from a business perspective. 
Well, for, uh, first, real quick, I, your idea of doing like kind of a first show in the arena. I mean, that's what SmackDown is, basically. I, I mean, they have um, that's, that's going to be on Fridays now. They did two matches this this week. I mean, you, you well, can you would have accomplished. The you, same you would thing. make Friday the, the a true go home show is what you would do. Yeah. So the the one thing I'll say though about fans who go to the show, a one night is uh, probably cheaper. I mean, I, we haven't had a full stadium two nights, so we don't know what if. If ticket prices are lower or they were lower. It, it, it's just it's hard to compare because this was in a pandemic. Everything was weird. In a normal situation, it's hard to know. The other thing is, you know, say you're someone taking your kids and your kid likes three or four specific wrestlers and they're performing on two different shows. Do you, do you have right. to pick one? Do you have to go to two? It does make it a little bit harder, I think, for the family in certain situations. Um, it, you're right. Not everyone's made of money where where it's like. Yeah. A lot of people, WrestleMania is like something they do once a year and they're spending their hard-earned money. I'm, I'm, I'm not even trying to say that this is a small amount of people. It's probably most people, okay? Uh, they spend their hard-earned money to do something really special with their family, with their friends, with their significant other, and that is to go to WrestleMania. And you're basically telling them, not only do you need to pay for one ticket, you need to pay for two. And if you're someone who likes NXT... You're not no longer able to get NXT TakeOver on Saturday and then do WrestleMania Sunday, which means you can't fly in Friday anymore because NXT TakeOver is going to be Thursday, right? Yep. Um, so now you have to fly in Wednesday, which is three additional nights of hotel just to watch TakeOver and then you're there. So we're trying to get you to go to Raw, uh, sorry, SmackDown as well. And then we're going to sell you two tickets to WrestleMania. That is a huge difference in expense than someone who can fly into a city on Friday, go to TakeOver Saturday, WrestleMania Sunday and fly out Monday. Right. So especially for know, international fans. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I like the two night. I think the, the positives outweigh the negatives, but there are negatives to it. And in the end, if WWE feels it can fill or mostly fill an 80,000 seat AT&T stadium, then they're going to do it. It's just if they can I, sell two full out sold out stadiums, they're going to do it. I agree. Yes. So it comes down to them and their research and what they think they can do in the end. But from from a viewer's perspective at home, much bigger fan um, going there. I, I, I don't know because I didn't go this year. But but overall, I think it's a net positive. I would like to stay at two. WWE is going to know based on their ticket sales this year, even though it was a unique situation, what they think they can get away with, because anyone living in Florida you know, they'll be able to see, okay, did they buy two tickets? Well, first of all, what percentage of people bought one ticket only to one night, yeah. right? And then which people bought the package and what were they willing to spend? Did they spend less than they did previously? Um, you know, and they'll probably do surveys and things like that as well. So this is not going to be something that's done really nilly. There'll be analytics and thought into it. Um, but I am really curious to see what happens. What I will say is this, if they do two nights in Texas, I'll be very happy. If they do one night, I may be less enthusiastic about it. Like just say, oh, that kind of sucks. I kind of like the two night format, but it's not going to be a negative. Like WrestleMania yeah. has been one night for 34 years and then the last two years, uh, 35 years. And then the last two years, it just happened to be a little bit different because, you know, there was a global pandemic that happened. Yeah. And, and I thought it was interesting, even as late as I think SmackDown, they were still advertising tickets on sale. Um they were sold out. Uh, from what I understand, the only stuff was on secondary markets and the prices on the secondary markets were not high mm -hmm. uh, for the get in. I think you could get in for like 35 to 40 bucks for upper deck tickets, 
but they were sold out from the stadium. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's hard. And this was obviously a unique situation. It, it's hard to know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, la- the last WrestleMania in Texas 32 was crazy long and I'm yeah. <laughs> sure people don't want to have to sit through that again. Those long ass stadium shows are really difficult. Yeah. They, they, they're very difficult to watch and you get tired and bored. And imagine having kids at those shows. Like I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I go with my friends and like, you know, in the past, now I would go as a journalist, but in the past I would go, I would drink a little bit, um, eat, gotta go to the bathroom, right? Like if you're there seven hours, you don't want to go to a stadium bathroom. So there's really a lot of good reasons not to do one night, but it all comes down to the bottom line. Whatever benefits WWE the most financially um, is probably what they will end up doing. So a couple more topics before we get into Raw. Uh, Hall of Fame. It was interesting. Talk about being two nights. This was a two-night or a two-show, I should say, Hall of Fame with the 2020 class and 2021 class done in like separate productions, but basically all exactly the same. Um, I know you had some thoughts on the Hall of Fame, so I'll let you kind of go first and I'll, I'll wrap it up on the back end. I'm, I'm kind of losing track of time, but th- this was on Tuesday, right? Because it was the day before NXT. Yes, the Hall of Fame was two separate shows that aired back to back on Tuesday. Yeah. NXT was Wednesday and Thursday SmackDown. So that gave us six straight days of WrestleMania content, and we plus, still got well, no, plus the Go Home Raw. Yeah, yeah, and the Raw. After, we're gonna have eight straight days of WWE. We're gonna have more than that because we're gonna have Raw. We had Raw Monday. We're gonna have uh, NXT Tuesday. And then AEW on Wednesday. Well, that's not, yeah, but that's not. <laughs> right, but I'm WWE. just saying it's like 10 something straight days of wrestling. It's crazy. Anyway, yeah. Hall of Fame. Uh, it, it, was, it was tough because, you know, you do it in the Thunderdome and you, you want to give people that, that experience of being out there and giving the speech. I know some people said, oh, why don't they just do it at home, do it over Zoom or something like that? I, I, I think you want to make this special. Some were better than others. A guy like Eric Bischoff, who, you know, is really good at this, you know, public speaking type of thing. He can deliver his Hall of Fame speech and look around as if there's a full crowd there. He did a great job of that. Other people clearly reading off a prompter had had, had a difficult time. Two things stuck out to me. Uh, first, the bad was WWE pipe. They pipe in sound to the Thunderdome for shows, but the sounds they piped in for the show where where there, there was laughter for jokes. There were people reacting to someone showing up backstage for an interview. And it was it, it was so bad. It took you so much out of the moment because we know people aren't there. And they overemphasize these reactions by this fake crowd. It was really, really weird and awkward. And I hope they don't do it again. Not that there's probably going to be a situation like that. But, you know, it took WWE some time to figure out the sound with the Thunderdome for shows. The sound for this Hall of Fame was really, really, really strange. That was a bad part. The good part was, holy crap, that induction video for Kane. I don't know if you saw it. It's not on YouTube. You got to go back on uh, Peacock to watch it. Or I found it on uh, Reddit. There was a Reddit thread that had it, too. They used uh, the song The Red by Chevelle to, to highlight Kane's career. It was like a three and a half, four minute video. Oh man, it got me so fired up. I guess no pun intended to, to just like, just, it it got me into like a, I I started going down wormholes of kind of early two thousands, new metal grunge music at the time. But if, if, if you haven't seen it, try either find it on Reddit or go through Peacock to find it. He's the last one to speak Kane. And they do this. They did this video to highlight him. It was so good. Kane is an all time character, a first ballot hall of famer. 
I know he only came into the Hall of Fame at the last minute because they needed a bigger headliner, I think, because uh, probably because Batista had pulled out. But happy for Kane. Happy uh, he got a proper induction. I wish it would have been a crowd, but uh, it was a really cool moment to see Kane up there. And it was a good way to cap off, which, which was a very strange Hall of Fame. So I thought the Hall of Fame was horrendous. Uh, terrible. I think it was one of the worst things that WWE's done in a long time. And that's including like we will sit down and watch a three-hour Raw and be disgusted and rant at it on here. That Hall of Fame, I felt like wasted my life. I wasted my life watching that. Um, I, I, a lot of the people that got inducted, I want to get, I want them to have their moment, right? Yeah. We're talking in front of a Thunderdome with the Candon stuff is not a moment. It's literally just it's the bare minimum, really. It's like, okay, yeah, you're in the Hall of Fame, right? I understand WWE's like perspective on it. The 2020 people are have already waited another year. So how are you going to make them wait another year on top of that? 2021, you don't want to go an entire year without a Hall of Fame class. So they were in a really tight spot. I honestly don't know what the resolution is. Like Usually if I criticize something from WWE, I say, this sucked. Here's how they should have done it instead. I don't have an answer on how they should have done it. If it was me, I wouldn't have. I would have said, we're going to do a huge Hall of Fame ceremony in 2022 in Dallas. We're going to not only induct the class of 2020, and we're sorry that we were going to make you wait, but a combined class of 2021-22. It's going to be the most epic Hall of Fame. We're going to do this and that, whatever the case, right? Maybe even... Some of these legends who can still go, you get them involved in like tag team matches with current talent. And you do this entire show, a Hall of Fame centric type of show, and you make it really, really special. Instead, they made it as inconsequential as they could. The freaking NWO went into the Hall of Fame. They're telling road stories and they're cut down to three minutes. The Bella Twins, who I'm not particularly fans of them or anything, they gave like just a horrendous speech. But all the things that they were saying you're like, oh, I'm kind of interested to learn more about that, right? Now, you can say all the old Hall of Fame ceremonies, you may not like those either. And truthfully, the WWE Hall of Fame, it's generally not a good show, right? But there's those moments where a wrestler talks about a rib that you had a story you'd never heard before, and then they pan into the crowd and John Cena is falling out of his seat. Or says someone says something about Vince and like they cut to him and Linda and like Linda pokes him in the arm or Stephanie's laughing at her dad. Yeah. All of those moments are what make the Hall of Fame memorable. What doesn't make it memorable is people going up and for three minutes trying to recap their careers and thank an empty arena. So I thought it was terrible and I truly thought I wasted my life watching it. I was actively angry that I didn't turn it off. Yeah, I, I didn't watch the whole thing start to finish. I had some stuff to do, so so I guess I turned it off too. But yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's I, I don't know what the the best answer was you want to give them time. You know, if, if, if you're doing three hall of fame classes next year, you can't, the speech has got to be short. So it, it was tough. I don't you know figured out. Not happened. everyone gets a speech. Certain people get three minutes. Certain people get five minutes. Certain people get seven minutes and you do a couple matches in between and funny video packages. Maybe some people get inducted together at the, at the Oscars. Not every single person that gets inducted or gets a, gets an award, gets TV time. Some of them, you just induct them off screen. And you do a package of their speeches. So there's there's ways that this could have been done. In fact, they could have done that this time too. They could have taken like the bottom four inductees and done a package where they all shook hands with Vince and Trips and whatever. And then they did the rest on screen. But 
they wanted to give everyone a moment. The problem was every moment was basically inconsequential. Like you have the NWO up there, the an ability to tell incredible stories. You have RVD up there who was in the midst of telling incredible, uh, a couple incredible stories, but you didn't even really get the entire context of them or, or the enjoyment or the reaction of the fans. Imagine RVD telling the story. They cut to Riddle in the crowd. Like that, you know, I know that they ended up doing that on Raw, but like, not on, was it on Raw? No, it was on uh, uh, Watch Along or some whatever show, The Bump, whatever they did. Uh, and they did on WrestleMania, sorry, night two of WrestleMania. Um, but like, that's the type of stuff I want. I want the the funny inside type of stuff. Not like, oh, let me just wear a suit or a dress and go up there and accept an award. There weren't even in- inductions. There wasn't even anyone to give these people the awards. They literally just did a video package and they came out. So you didn't even get to see the banter back and forth or someone kind of ribbing or roasting them. It, it was just, it was terrible. Honestly, it, it was offensive to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I understand not wanting to bring in too many people in because of COVID to do inductions. There's so it, I mean, there were hundreds of people there. It, I mean. it was a tough situation. I, I know. I did. we've talked we've talked enough about the Hall of Famer. I, it, there were there were bits I liked. Go watch the Kane video, but the rest of it was kind of not great. Go watch Kane and maybe the NWO and RVD speeches. Other yeah. than that, and again, those were even unfortunate. Uh, okay, moving on. Let's talk about commentary. WWE commentary. Now, before we get to Raw, which we will talk about second part here. There was the WrestleMania commentary to discuss. Uh, conspicuous by his absence was Tom Phillips, who apparently reportedly um, broke COVID protocols and therefore was not cleared to do the show. So therefore, Michael Cole was forced to be the play-by-play man for the entire show card on both nights. And I don't mind that necessarily Cole's Cole and he's like the, the dude, but he was terrible um, and not terrible from a it's boss time or the big dog or it's all about. The Raw Women's Championship, not bad from any of those standpoints. That's just WWE's commentary being generally, you know, annoying. He was actually terrible. And I don't mean this to offend him because I have defended Michael Cole on this podcast and on my Twitter account for an extended period of time. When Cole does not have Vince in his ear and he's just able to like work and do his job, he's exceptional as a play-by-play man. But he missed pinfalls. He missed moves where he didn't know the names. He called them by the wrong names. He stumbled on himself and was all over the place. I sincerely hope that there's nothing wrong. And he just had an off night. Maybe he was stressed and a lot of things changed. He wasn't used to talking with Samoa Joe or having the legends there. I don't know what happened. Maybe from night one, the rain delay kind of messed with him. And there was a lot of pressure put on his shoulders. And he was kind of coming down from that. I can give him all the excuses in the book, Chris. but. Commentary on WrestleMania was not good, and it was largely his fault. And I I hate to say that because I actually really like him. Yeah, no, it was it was notably bad, and and you know even even when there's times we don't like commentary, don't like things they do, it's not actively bad. And whether it's referring to a Michinoku driver as the Blue Thunder Bomb, whether it's missing the Bianca Belair pin. There were a lot of notable mistakes, and Corey Graves did the best he could to to cover for him, and he had to do it a lot. And I've honestly, I wondered if at some point they will go back and redub the broadcast of Bianca Belair's win and change it so he doesn't mess it up. 
I, I, I mean, they, not to the same extent, but they did that when Edge returned at the Royal Rumble and the camera missed him spearing Dolph Ziggler when he got into the ring. You go back and watch it now. Now it, now it has it in there. So I, I've wondered if they honestly, because it's such a big moment, if they might like just recall it and, and put it over it because it was that bad. To, to, Bianca Belair gets this win, this monumental win, the biggest moment of career, setting off a new star. And he thinks it was a kick out and they have to scramble to cover it. It was I can't even imagine what Vince McMahon was, how he was reacting on the headset backstage in gorilla position. Yeah, it was just really unfortunate. And like I like I said, I just I hate to put it all on Michael Cole's feet, but I don't know who else would really be to blame. And like the other thing, like I said, I hope everything's OK. Like you, like there's these changes happening clearly to, to commentary across both shows um, he's only 53, so he's not 52 or 53. So he's not like up there in years, like where you listen to JR these days and you're like, there's a hint of the ability there, but it's kind of really tough to listen to him. Right. Uh, Cole's not like that. He's still energetic and has that ability to sell and, and does all the things WWE wants him to do. And generally he's great in big moments because he's planned out. Something happened and it was weird and we'll see what happens Friday and going forward. Maybe it was just an aberration and just bad timing, bad luck, and that's what happened. But between him and some of the camera cuts during that show, the production was uh, for certain matches. Really, like Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley was most noticeable. Yeah, so they can, they can improve in such a major degree. They really I mean, can. the camera the camera cuts have always been a problem, but th- that was something that I took away from people I follow on Twitter, people I know who don't watch wrestling and decided to watch from WrestleMania for the first time. And there were a lot of comments like, dude, just pick one camera angle and stick with it. Like people who are not used to WWE insane camera cuts were really uh, taken aback by that. So that was another. Lashley did a vertical suplex on Drew McIntyre. It was like, I was noticing it all match, but because it was slow and McIntyre was up in the air, just kind of hanging there. uh, They did five camera cuts. He was just in the air. That's all he did. And they went like A, B, C, C, D, A. (laughs) <laughs> like, and then he fell down. I'm just like, if you want to change the camera angle two times, okay, maybe because you want to show like his body there and then you want to go back so you can see the impact. That's cool. You don't need five camera changes for a single vertical suplex. It's just, it's truly out of control. Okay, but staying with commentary, the other big story is that there was a change to the raw commentary table. Out is Tom Phillips. He is remaining with WWE as the lead voice of 205 Live. Talk about it, the motion. And he's also like their senior manager of talent or on-air talent or something like that. He has another job. I think it's like special projects with Peacock or something. And he's going to do special projects with Peacock. So he's still employed. Tom's not gone. But WWE hired Adnan Verk, formerly of ESPN, a well-known baseball commentator, currently works for MLB Network, to be the lead voice of Raw. And we have seen how things like this go in the past, right? Um the return of Jonathan Coachman, Mike Adamley, when he was hired. So this, despite me being eyes wide open, ears, ears wide open, I should say, to this, you know, coming in, there's not the best history of people coming in directly from sports to take this job. The other changes they made were Samoa Joe is no longer on commentary. Instead, Corey Graves is on raw commentary with Byron Saxon. So Graves and Saxton back together again as part of WWE's release, Joe is listed as still a member of the talent roster. So we don't know whether that means they're going to make a subsequent announcement and he's going to join Cole 
on SmackDown, which I think would be really cool. And I'd love Joe on there. Or if that means he's going to come back as a wrestler. What I think is interesting is we just had the Raw after WrestleMania. And if you're going to de- re-debut Samoa Joe as a wrestler, probably should have done it on the Raw after WrestleMania. But So they didn't do that. So we're still, Samoa Joe's up in the air. But regarding Adnan Ver, So no offense meant by any means. He was rough around the edges on the show. He clearly knew the storylines and the wrestlers. And I know you're going to say, well, he called Eric Ivar or whatever the case. Okay, yeah, he screwed up one name, but like it was his first night. Uh, but he he knew the characters, he knew the storylines, but he did not know the moves at all. And you can't call wrestling not being able to say suplex or claymore when it's the finisher of your number one guy to end a match. He also struggled with his energy. He was calling it like it was a baseball game, very matter-of-factly. That's not how you talk about wrestling. Imagine if we talked about wrestling with no passion on this podcast. People would stop listening. Uh, As I said, the perfect example was the main event. He was doing a good job kind of weaving in and out the action. Corey was helping him a ton. He was handling a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of like the match as it was happening and the moves. But then the end, the whole point of the entire match was it looked like Randy Orton was going to win. And Drew McIntyre comes flying in with the Claymore, his signature move, to knock Orton out cold and get the win. So no one, Chris, is going to get this job and nail it solid on night one. It is not going to happen. It's going to take him one month, maybe two months to really figure out what his voice is going to be and how he needs to do this job. Hell, it took Renee Young, I think six months, maybe even a little bit more, just to figure out the best way she could contribute as the third person on commentary. It's taken Beth Phoenix over in NXT probably the better part of a year, especially with Mauro Ronaldo gone, to really figure out how she is going to contribute to the NXT call. So Adnan Verk, despite being the play-by-play guy, despite being WWE's choice hire, is not going to be good on night one. And I do think that there's a chance he's good in the future. But it was a really rough start, and I don't think there's anything wrong with pointing that out. Yeah, it's we, we can't make a, 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 a full assessment for at least a month, maybe more. It's going to take him time. It's going to take anybody time. So that's that's where we start. Also, uh, the Athletic has an interview with Adnan Verk. Richard Dice did a story if you want to know how it came together. You know when Verk came in, how he. This tried guy out. in his self promotion. I know. I, 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 I didn't days. write the story. I didn't write the story. Yeah, I just found, where you I just found it really interesting. In it's terms your of how? No, I'm just saying in terms of how someone. I'm just giving test, time. Tr- tries out for the job. I like. I honestly I had no idea how it worked. So they they explained how he. Tried out some matches, did some interviews, so you can see how that process worked. Because he had no wrestling experience. And so he got better as the show went on. He got more comfortable as the show went on. You know, there were mistakes like calling Drew the Celtic Warrior. He called them the Viking Express. You know, those things will come with time. My, uh, My biggest concern coming out of his debut is that it felt like he was talking over highlights. It, yeah, I know him from Sports Center, and maybe that's just because I'm, I'm used to him. When I hear his voice, that's what my my brain goes to. But there were a lot of times it didn't feel like he was there. It didn't feel like he was ringside with the action. You kind of need you need emotion with that play by play. You need you need someone who gets sucked into what they're watching and, and taking you along for the ride. It felt like like you said, it was just kind of matter of factly. It felt like he was talking over highlights of wrestling that were on sports center or something like that. So again, 
it was not a great debut, but you got to give him time. I'm, I'm sure he will get better as it goes on. Uh, and at, at some point, we can kind of make a fair assessment probably in at least a month. I agree with that. Uh, we just got to give him time. You can't expect someone to get into that job, especially, you know, we don't know. We, you know, it's tough to say about the whole like Vince in your ear type of deal that, you know, these people always talk about. It's tough to know what that's like um, without having done it. I've been in a situation where I've had a producer in my ear where I've done some like on air stuff uh, very briefly and not, but they don't talk while you're talking, right? Uh, Vince apparently does, right? So, but we, we don't know. So how he responded to that, how he dealt with it, maybe Vince wasn't in his ear as much because he is coming into this. This is night one. He's, you know, more of a professional broadcaster, not more of a professional broadcaster, but has a different type of experience level. So we don't necessarily know all the adjustments this guy had to make. He definitely gets a break on night one. He probably gets a break on month one. Um, And like I said, maybe even up to two months, but it wasn't bad. We've seen far worse debuts in this job. Uh, We've seen far better debuts in this job. So I'm willing to give it some time and see how it all Transpires and, and credit to Graves and Saxton, who really tried to carry him in his first show, and I think did a really good job of kind of directing things for quite a while. Absolutely, there is a new WWE Thunderdome. Uh, they debuted it Monday night, of course, with the Thunderdome moving from Tropicana Field to the Yingling Center on the campus of South Florida. I don't actually think this is much for us to talk about. I just wanted to note it. The stage was a little bit closer to the ring. It looked differently. It was more vertical than horizontal due to the tightened space. And there was a little bit less room over the barricade. But other than that, I didn't really notice much of a difference. I saw some people say, oh my God, it's so much smaller and whatever. First of all, it's still way better than it was in the performance center. So I don't really care about that. And secondly, I actually liked that it was a slightly different look. So for me, two thumbs up. Keep going on with the Thunderdome until you can have fans back. Yeah, it looked good to me. I I, I always appreciate kind of changing up the, the stage every once in a while, and, and they did. And it's still weird for here called the Youngling Center. It's always the Sun Dome to me uh, <laughs> on the campus USF, but yeah, it was fine. All right. Uh, we also have WrestleMania Backlash, which is the new name of a old pay-per-view that's actually coming back. Now, they've run an occasional backlash here or there. I want to say they did one in like 2019 or 2018, but it is the first time that Backlash is in the post-WrestleMania spot since 2009, which is crazy. It's been that long. It'll be going down May 16th. They're calling it WrestleMania Backlash. Um, I understand why they're doing it. They're doing it from a promotional standpoint. They're doing it so that more people will watch it, presumably because there's going to be some rematches on the show, which is usually the case with Backlash anyway, or or was historically. But throwing WrestleMania on front of another pay-per-view I don't know. I think it's weird. I, I don't necessarily like it, but I get why they're doing it. I'd rather they use WrestleMania as a tagline, like backlash colon, the fallout from WrestleMania, something like that. Um, Yeah, it was weird when you first heard it. Like when I, when Adam Pierce first said it, I thought he misspoke. I thought he meant to say WWE backlash. Um, then my, my brother told me, I guess this was the thing. I, did, I didn't realize that. So I don't know. I don't have any strong thoughts about it it's a little weird but it also kind of makes sense mostly i'm just glad backlash is happening after wrestlemania because they used to do like it would go wrestlemania then extreme rules and then like payback 
and it didn't make any sense. So payback or backlash, whatever you want to call it, should be right after WrestleMania. That's that's when it should happen. Uh, so I, I'm glad it's in the right order. Calling it WrestleMania backlash, uh, I think it's fine. Uh, honestly, I think it's fine. Okay, a couple more things. I did hear the new Seth Rollins theme that we were talking about on the instant analysis. I thought it was his regular theme when I was watching WrestleMania. I guess I wasn't paying attention or it wasn't loud enough. Uh, so I did hear it. It is different. You were 100% right. But I totally disagree with you. I liked it. It's thrash metal. It fits way better with this version of his character. Maybe it was the WrestleMania presentation with all the fire and the pyro and all that type of stuff that I thought was really exciting. And, and I liked it. Maybe by the time we get to SmackDown and they play it over the regular speakers without all that type of stuff, maybe I won't like it as much. But the idea of using his old theme as like a baby face theme and using this now as his heel theme, I personally like it. Yeah, you could. I mean, his his original, I guess, call it babyface theme or whatever. But um, I love that theme. And the Messiah theme wasn't bad. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So giving him a third is weird. I only heard it on the WrestleMania show. I don't even know. Is it on YouTube or something like that? Is there like a clean version? I don't know. No, so I just I, I just went back and watched WrestleMania. Uh, I, maybe I'll get used to it over time. But I just I didn't like it to start. Okay. Weird, weird, weird place to debut it too. It was weird just to do it from an unexpected situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I do agree with that. We also have a couple DMs here. First from Nick Flynn at N underscore Flynn underscore 17. Might be a very, very nitpicking thing from the main event of WrestleMania, but do you guys think there was a little too much use of Bianca's braid in that match? No. What about you? No, no. I, I mean, especially... As a baby, you think she would just use it all the time and make it her whole weapon if she, if she was a heel or something like that. I mean, they used it creatively to tie up her arm. She only whacked her. What was the the whack? The whip was the only. Well, no, the end, right? they, no the but they used it all match is what they're saying. Yeah, it no, it's, it's fine. It's 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 one of the most striking features about her. When you see her, it'd be weird to <laughs> right. kind of ignore it. Yeah, it's a huge part of her logo. It's it's obvious, like that she wears it and like, you know, it's, sometimes it's hanging down. Sometimes she wraps it up. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was very smart and inventive. In fact, because she's barely used it over the entire calendar year that she's been on the main roster, right. I thought bringing it out as not just a weapon, but a, a point of um, a, a, something that the match turned on a little bit was very smart. And it mm -hmm. also showed how cunning and intelligent Sasha Banks is as a wrestler that not she was maybe struggling to go you know, physically head to head against Bianca. So she tried to use something else to her advantage and failed. Bianca time and time again, got over on Banks. She tried to use the braid to pull her with it. Instead, she won the tug of war and pulled her into the steel steps in the ring post. Then she did it again, slapped her across the chest with it. So I liked it and I thought it was smart. And no, I, I do not think it was overused or anything like that, to be honest. Tom Mish at Pony with two Y's underscore 32. Does the recent Fiend decision at Mania go in the same category as Goldberg at Saudi Arabia and Rollins at Hell in a Cell? Uh, no, it doesn't. And there's a very easy reason to explain why it doesn't. Both of those involved the WWE or Universal Championship. This did not. They actively hurt in Rollins, the WWE champion, by having that Hell in a Cell match that they did. And they had the Fiend go after the title without any real motivation to go after the title or any reason why, you know, that character should ever care about or hold or contest for the title. 
And then the Goldberg situation was terrible because again, it involved the title, but rather than someone like Roman Reigns beating the Fiend for it at WrestleMania, where someone goes over by being able to take down this monster who's been unable to be defeated, they just had Goldberg have a terrible match in a foreign country. And I don't care that it was in a foreign country if they did this in the United Kingdom or something. It doesn't matter. But in a glorified, like propaganda, blood money, blood money in the sand type of show, and basically just ch- change the title so that they could give us Goldberg at Reigns that didn't even happen at WrestleMania for no reason. So no, those were offensive. What happened at WrestleMania this year was bad, but it wasn't offensive. I I put I put this pretty much at the same level as spooky bugs in the ring a, a couple of years ago that involved the title, but it was the same situation where Bray had been brought up to a certain level finally. And there was a good buildup with Randy Orton and then a weird ass thing distracted you from the rest of the match. And then it's over. So I, I, I think it's right on par with s- spooky bugs in the ring costing him the match. Yeah. It's close, far closer to that than it is, you know, the stuff that we just talked about. So, Chris, that is our discussion of the fallout from WrestleMania. It's now time to talk about the product moving forward. And the way we always do that on this podcast is by sliding into the main event. Now, before we get into the item by item detail from the Raw after WrestleMania, I kind of want to talk about it as a whole. I'm not going to go ahead and say this was the worst Raw after WrestleMania ever, because in order for me to do that, I would need to go back and watch all of the Raw after WrestleManias. And I know that there was a period of time, you know, probably prior to like the mid 90s where the Raw after WrestleMania was meaningless. Like it was probably just another show and, you know, probably they were good, but, you know, things didn't, weren't expected. A crowd reaction, a returns, you know, things like that. There were a couple of bright spots on this Raw. But it was such a boring, insulting show to me. Is that really the best that they could do, given a chance to refresh things with a new set, a new announcer, three new champions on your brand? The storylines were repetitive. The lone debut or return was the Viking Raiders, which happy to have them back, but the Viking Raiders. Uh, primarily because Rhea Ripley debuted a month ago, so I understand that maybe they would have had two instead of one. And, and you're not counting Charlotte, but she kind of sort of... She does not count. She was there three weeks ago. I mean, yeah. she, and she's been in the company forever. She wasn't injured or anything. Um, and some really confusing, bad booking across the entire show. We're going to break all of it down, but man, there is clearly a universal sentiment in the world of wrestling these days that no matter what you think is the best between SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite. Raw is the worst of the four weekly television programs by a good margin. And they did nothing to improve it when they were given a perfect opportunity to refresh its storylines and make some changes. I was probably way too tired from driving nine hours and I came home like 30 minutes before Raw to actually get angry about it. But it was really depressing to like get home and be really happy after WrestleMania. We gave in an A. We're really in a great mood about WWE. And then invest three hours into that shit. Yeah, no, th- there were, you know, WrestleMania is the time when a lot of people check out wrestling for the first time in a while. And I talked to a lot of friends who decided to give it a shot. 
and and really liked WrestleMania and said, hey, maybe I'll maybe I'll take a look and heard from several of them that, oh, yeah, right. This is why I don't watch WWE anymore. This is why I don't watch Raw anymore. And, you know, I can I can tell these people, hey, give SmackDown a chance. I honestly think it's the best wrestling show going. But that, that ain't till Friday. Raw is the show. Raw is the one right after WrestleMania. And it was, yeah, I think depressing is a good way to put it. The, coming out of such a major event, a successful event, an event in which you basically crown the future of the company that that uh, it felt like everything just went back to the way it was one one day later. And even to that point, Chris, like I said, there were three new champions crowned. We saw one of them. We saw Rhea Ripley and we saw her in a rematch that she had one night earlier when she won the title. There's a new United States champ in Sheamus, not on the show. New Raw tag team champions in AJ Styles and Omos. I may not have loved it, but to your point, Omos got a huge reaction from the crowd. And you don't have this guy show up on your very next show the day the day later. It's a three-hour show. There were three completely garbage, throwaway um, tag team matches. And you can't get the champions on the show in a promo backstage uh, interacting. You can't have Sheamus do something, laugh at Riddle when he rides by on the scooter. Like, you can't do anything with these guys. It was just, it was horrible. Like, like okay, maybe maybe I did hate it. Uh, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe I really did dislike this more than I'm saying I did. But I, I just I just couldn't believe like how you have a three hour show and you see MVP five times. I love MVP. I'll see him three times a show. I don't need to see. He him was five times honestly, he was probably the best part of the show. He probably was. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just I don't get the the order of the show. I don't get the way they started. I don't get you know Omas was he went kind of. He went kind of viral afterward. Like there were people who don't watch wrestling being like, I saw people sharing pictures like, who the hell is this guy? Oh, this guy played basketball at Morgan State. Like Rhea, Rhea is crowned as your new star coming out of WrestleMania, but who ends up coming out looking strong out of her first Monday Night Raw as champ? It was no Charlotte. One. So no, no one. Like, it was really no one, honestly. Maybe yeah, Charlotte. Or, because Charlotte ends the segment, you know, we'll get into it looking like, you know, it didn't establish Ripley. It's that it felt like Ripley was just no longer the face of the division. Like we thought she was going to be positioned as, oh, no, it's it's Charlotte again. And I love Charlotte and she was great, but that's not how you should debut Rhea Ripley as your champ. Well, let's get into all the things that actually went down on Raw. But before we do that, a reminder that promotional consideration for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. And we have an exclusive offer for you, our listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code GOMAN at manscaped.com. Manscaped took us up with their Perfect Package 3.0, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawn Mower 3.0, featuring cutting-edge ceramic blades to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology. I can tell you guys I have never used something this well-designed that gets the job done. Also in that package are some products that will keep your balls dry and smelling fresh, along with some free gifts, a pair of super comfortable high-performance Manscaped boxers that vintage Chris Vanini absolutely loves. You'd think maybe he'd go to back, that go back to manscaped.com. Use our 20% off code, G-O-MAN. Save 20%, get free shipping, get more boxers. But Yeah, I'm doing it. I've, I've, looked, I've looked it up. I may actually do it. 
you got to clean out that drawer of boxers and just go all manscaped in that. Uh, switch them up. You know, it's 2021. Get some new boxers. You also get a travel bag with this package. Look, it is time to trim your junk. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code GEOMAN at manscaped.com. Every purchase directly supports the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. No joke. Need you guys to hook up with manscaped.com using code GEOMAN for 20% off plus free shipping. And it's time for you to unlock your confidence and make sure you use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. So let's continue on with the main event and talk about these individual items that went down across Raw on Monday night. Let's start with Bobby Lashley, where the promotion was that he would be celebrating his WWE championship defense from WrestleMania. Lashley got the cold open to the show. He was dapped up entering the arena. He was wearing a really bright orange suit. Looked great, I gotta say. Riddle rolled up on him trying to get a WWE title match. Lashley denied him. And then Riddle baited him into doing one by using Lashley's own words against him. Kind of in like a Rain Man type of deal where he's suddenly recalling quotes and dates and and this like (laughs) idiot is actually a genius. Although I know that was not exactly the point of the movie. I'm getting away from myself here. Uh, Regardless, so Lashley basically says, okay, you know what? You got me. Uh, We're gonna go ahead and do it. Let's have the match. He shoves Riddle's head into the scooter, uh, says, all right, you're on. Let's let's fight later in the show. Lashley absolutely annihilates Riddle at ringside before the bell. Riddle demanded the match start anyway. Lashley threw the scooter into the Thunderdome and then pressed Riddle vertically over the barricade into nothingness. Riddle got one 30-second run of offense the entire match, but he missed a floating bro and Lashley capitalized with the hurt lock. The match lasted like as long as some WrestleMania matches did. Uh, The pre-match attack gave Riddle an excuse and it gave Lashley an excuse to win in a squash, but they didn't do that, which I guess is a good thing that they think too much of Riddle to have him lose in a squash. If they did, we'd probably be beyond here complaining. This guy was just the US champion. He didn't even get a long match with the WWE champion. I'd probably have preferred an in-ring promo from MVP, but it was good for Lashley, I guess, to get some shine off the top of the show. I... I, I didn't understand starting the Raw after WrestleMania with this. Like, you want to say Bobby's not a great promo. You don't want him cutting a great promo, uh, a long promo in the ring. Fine. Have MVP come out and just pull Paul Heyman and talk the whole time and just hype up how great he is and then get into what happens later in the show. This is such a weird thing. Like, if you watch WrestleMania, you're like, oh, man, I can't wait to like find out more about these people. And the first thing you're, you get is Riddle on a scooter and then he loses the match and I, it was such a it was not a captivating start to the show. And I'm sure the ratings for this show, by the way, will be good because it's a raw after mania. But like I said, for, for the people who hadn't been watching wrestling and decided to tune in after a good WrestleMania, I don't know if this was something that's going to keep them around. It was not an exceptionally strong open, and it was kind of an indication of the type of show we would eventually get, which I thought was ultimately, of course, a disappointment. So then like Lashley and MVP. They basically disappear. And then MVP opens the third hour telling Drew McIntyre it's okay to be number two when Lashley is number one, which I thought was a great line. Credit to him. He said, if McIntyre can't handle the hurt lock, then no one can. So of course, McIntyre comes out, admitted that he screwed up in the title match, gave Lashley an opening for a win. And I was very happy he did that because we discussed that specifically on the instant analysis where he can say, you know, don't make excuses. Don't say you got screwed or whatever. Just, hey, I screwed up. Lashley's a legitimate strong champion. He beat me. 
That's sometimes just how it goes, but I want the WWE title. So he did that, and I was very happy with that. McIntyre said he wants MVP to keep growing Lashley's ego because he'll eventually get the rematch, hit the Claymore, and win the title from Lashley. MVP told McIntyre to step to the back of the line. Then Braun Strowman comes out. He agrees with MVP. He stands face-to-face with McIntyre. And then Randy Orton comes out. He says he took out The Fiend and is now focused on the WWE title. Like, as if he was, like, waiting for the opportunity to do this. Adam Pearce is suddenly out. Immediately makes a triple threat match for the number one contendership in the main event of the same show. You would think they would have made this the first segment of the show, or maybe the second segment, so that they could promote it for three hours. Instead, they got about 30 minutes of promotion ahead of the match beginning. The third hour is the lowest rated hour. Why the hell would you do this in the third hour of the show? It made no sense. McIntyre and Strowman actually had a pretty great interaction backstage where Strowman was able to cut a promo like a human. Orton later cut a promo about no longer being distracted because Alexa Bliss and The Fiend have disappeared, but we saw both of them on the show, so I don't know where he thinks they went. This was weird uh, top to bottom. There were parts of it that were bright spots. MVP was a bright spot. McIntyre and Strowman's promos were, were pretty decent, but this made no sense. I don't know why the hell they did this on Raw. You mean why they did this whole segment? In, in the, the I don't know why they did a promo segment at after 10 p.m. Yeah. Eastern, setting up a triple threat match in the main event between I, yeah. a guy who just lost, another guy who beat Shane McMahon, and a third dude who, like I guess, beat The Fiend, so maybe you can make a case. But the promos that Randy cut were that The Fiend and Alexa Bliss have disappeared. They haven't. They were on the show with you. Yeah, th- th- that little thing was... I, I think he meant literally disappear because they disappeared from the ring. But no, I actually really liked this promo parade is basically what they end up being in. I thought this should have opened the show. It felt, right, that's what I'm saying. If you're yeah, going to do it, it, open the show with it. Yeah, it felt fresh to have Randy Orton talking to MVP and Braun Strowman involved. Like, oh man, after like after months of the same people talking to the same people only, we finally got new people talking to each other. We've got all these stories left that ended at WrestleMania and they're now converging here. And it makes sense because a couple of weeks ago when Drew was saying, uh, does anybody want to step up and fight me and get a shot at the title? And they went and he went to Braun and Braun said, I'll deal with that when I'm done with Shane McMahon. So it does fit in the story that they were telling Braun. The most important thing to him was to beat the crap out of Shane McMahon. And once he did that, then he was going to focus on the title. And that's what he did here. And, and, and this made a lot of sense. And I really liked the segment. I wish it had started the show. It would have been a, it would have been a great way to tie everything in together that happened at the end of mania. So yeah, very weird to do this in the third hour to set up the main event. I, if you had flipped this, if you did this first and then have, you know, maybe Lashley fight Riddle in the middle of the show and then do the main event. It, I felt like they, everything would have flowed a lot. Better. This is what you do. You have Lashley walking into the arena, everyone dapping him up, and you say, hey, at 9 p.m., Bobby Lashley will address the WWE universe, right? That You set that up. Then you have this segment with these three guys coming out, uh, MVPs in the ring, or you do this at 9 o'clock even. MVPs in the ring, and all this stuff happens. He's talking, he's about to introduce Bobby Lashley. Instead, Lashley never ends up coming out. You have McIntyre, Strowman, Orton. You do everything exactly the same. MVP goes backstage. Lashley's like, what the hell was that? I thought you were about to introduce me into the ring. There's a huge interaction between both of them. Uh, Riddle rolls by. Then you do the segment from the beginning of the show. Uh, He challenges him, whatever. Lashley's pissed because he didn't get his big celebration. He says, okay, Riddle, I'll fight you. Brings him out. 
beats the shit out of Riddle. Now you're hour three, you have your main event. You're done. Like that's the whole thing. It's it's mm-hmm. the exact same stuff, but ordered in a way that actually makes sense. And it just like goes to show they don't know like raw, whoever's writing or or booking or scheduling raw, there's something wrong there. Because it's not necessarily the content that's terrible, it's the packaging and the the scheduling and and just the entire top to bottom organization of the show is screwed. And yeah, some of the booking sucks too. I'm just saying it's there's problems on Raw and I thought they I didn't think they would fix them on Monday night, but I figured okay, at least they're going to refresh. There's a new guy on commentary, there's new champions, like things are going to feel different and it felt exactly the same. Yep. And it was really really disappointing. So that main event McIntyre Strowman and Orton, McIntyre and Orton teamed up to vertical suplex Strowman. They didn't play the train sound for Strowman when he ran around the ring, so I liked that. Orton yes. threw McIntyre over the announce table and ate a charge from Strowman, who knocked McIntyre and Orton out with steel steps. Orton hit Strowman with an RKO, and then McIntyre ran in for the Claymore that Adna and Verk didn't know the name of for the cover and the 1-2-3 to get a WWE title rematch at WrestleMania Backlash one month after WrestleMania. McIntyre starting to celebrate when MVP's music hits. Suddenly, T-Bar and Mace mm-hmm. run in, and hit their double choke slam power bomb on McIntyre. He looked confused. Commentary tried to sell it as a cliffhanger, and Raw goes off the air. So we're going to talk about this in two separate parts, okay? First, the match. Yes. I definitely did not think they would go immediately back to Lashley McIntyre at Backlash, especially after the segment where they talked about him going to the back of the line. What a lack of creativity that is. Go with Riddle for the pay-per-view, given that he was previously beat Lashley in a U.S. title match, even though that was a triple threat. It elevates Riddle, it gives Lashley someone he can beat, and it gives McIntyre a break to go do something else. He can feud with Strowman, he can feud with Orton again, and and for a number one contendership, you figure out something else for Drew to do. So now you're faced with this match at Backlash, and your options are McIntyre either loses for a second time in two months, a third time in dating back to the Miz cashing in Money in the Bank, or he wins the title again at a B-level pay-per-view without fans, which would make the WrestleMania booking senseless. I fail to see the logic in this. I don't understand why Drew McIntyre is the number one contender. Yeah, it's 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 not great, but I will say I really like seeing Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley wrestle, and I'm glad we don't have to wait 10 months to see it again. It was It was backlash last year when they had their first match, I think it was. I think it was the Backlash pay-per-view. They didn't and have Backlash, I thought, last year. It was... Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it was. Let me look it up. But yeah, I really liked... I, I liked seeing him in the ring together, so I don't hate this. Is it, does it make sense that Drew gets this other this other shot? Yeah, it was it was Backlash 2020, because that was the greatest wrestling match ever. Oh, okay. Uh, that was right. the headliner, but it was Backlash. So, I'm... I'm of two minds. I don't hate it. I don't think Drew's going to win at a B-level pay-per-view. So I guess it's more how is he going to get out of it. Right, so that's that's, interference finishers. And that's going to involve exactly what we got at the end of the show. So I I don't hate it. I I wouldn't have wanted someone like Riddle. I think you need to, if you give Lashley some wins against some notable people, that's good. I don't hate this. I'm fine with it. I saw some people complaining, oh, they're doing the same matches over and over and over again. No, they're not. We, We, in terms of this. No, we've only gotten McIntyre versus Lashley twice. But dude, in one time. Wait, 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 let me stop you. 
Because if they're going to do this at Backlash and Drew's going to get screwed, that means you're going to get a third match. And again, it won't be in front of fans. So even if they push it down the line to Money in the Bank, I mean, look, maybe by Money in the Bank, WWE decides to run an arena show by then. That's possible. It's two months away. But then you're pushing it down the line and you're going to have a third match and the storyline and feud is going to happen for a third month. So what, like, if you don't get the title change with the face winning, WWE doesn't give you resolution. That's the problem. Yes. I, I, I don't know. I, I, in the moment, I'm okay with it. I don't have confidence that no matter what they chose, they were going to make a good decision booking-wise because it's raw, <laughs> I guess, if, if, if that makes sense. But I, I didn't hate it. I, I, didn't, I didn't hate this. I, I didn't hate necessarily that McIntyre is the number one contender. I just think that so many other options presented themselves that would have made more sense. It's like when McIntyre won and like immediately had Styles and Rollins. You're like, yeah. whoa, hold on a second. Don't you want to do one of those at SummerSlam? Don't you want to do one of those at Money in the Bank? Why are you just giving them on B-level pay-per-views? It doesn't really make sense. And I know they're promoting this as WrestleMania backlash, but again, it ain't WrestleMania and it's in an arena and it's going to be within the Thunderdome. So it, it I, just, I, I, do, I do wonder if the fact that it's called WrestleMania backlash, they want to make it a sequel to WrestleMania. So they're going to run back also, some of the same stuff. Let me also add, SummerSlam is only four months away at this point. It's not very far. So you give Lashley two interim feuds and then you have two months you can start building McIntyre for a SummerSlam match. It doesn't take that long, you know, to really do that. So I was just, I, I was just totally disappointed by it. It showed to me a totally, a total lack of creativity to do this. But then let's talk about the second part. T-Bar and Mace. Still called T-Bar and Mace. Still wearing their masks and their retribution gear. So what's going on here? Are they the new Hurt Business? I, I don't see how you can justify making that move, pulling Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, guys that were tag team champions, away for Retribution rejects still wearing their fucking masks. At least give them a new, more polished look as suave bodyguards or dominant henchmen or something like that. I don't see how MVP could ever justify this. Now, maybe they're not part of the Hurt Business. Maybe he's using them as mercenaries the same way he used Baron Corbin. And if that's the case, that makes a little bit of sense. But why is MVP needing mercenaries when he had a faction? I mean, we'll talk about what happened to Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander later in the show. But this was just, I'm not saying it was bad because I'm, it was a cliffhanger. So I'm willing to next week find out what the deal is. But it doesn't seem like it's good. This was bad for... This is very bad for two reasons. One, yes, doing T-Bar and Mace instead of Cedric and Shelton. Clearly, with what happened on the show, Hurt Business is done, and it's ridiculous to bring another tag team into this situation. Two, this isn't the right way to do the cliffhanger. If you're doing the cliffhanger, it should end with them beating up Drew McIntyre, MVP's looking on, commentary saying, what the heck's going on, what the heck's going on, we're out of time, we gotta go, boom. They beat him up and then leave the ring. But who cares? It didn't cost him the match or anything. So he got punched a little bit and they left. What, why is this like, so? oh my God, they hit him. Oh, okay, like that's not the cliffhanger. The cliffhanger is, what the heck's going on? We got to go, boom, we're, we're, we're done. It was a weird, They. it went on for too long. And I don't, like, the drama is not, oh my God, they, like, the attack was not a vicious attack. 
It didn't cost him anything. That's not how you sell it. Really dumb, really dumb cliffhanger. You're you're right. If you're going to attack, you do it in the midst of that match and have someone else win. Orton win. You know, or yeah. maybe you put Riddle in that match and the referee gets knocked out. Whatever. These guys come in, they take out Braun, they take out Orton, they take out uh McIntyre, and Riddle was knocked out earlier. He rolls in, hits like floating bro, and pins McIntyre. And now Riddle has a pin over McIntyre. He goes in, gets to challenge Lashley at the next pay-per-view. You have a fresh match. McIntyre's pissed. He's dealing with these guys. You give him something to do for a month and everyone else is doing something different. There are so many other ways that you can book the same general concept using the same people, but make it better. And it is so inherently frustrating that the Raw team doesn't know how to do that. And it is still so shocking that Raw is doing this well, if the same thing was happening on, happening on SmackDown, you actually have the belief that it would be far better for some reason, even though it's the same company and presumably we think a similar writing staff. So let's move over off the men over to the women. There was a, a Raw Women's Championship match, Rhea Ripley against Asuka, which they just had less than 24 hours earlier. I broke this down into three different parts, maybe four, I forget. But Ripley cut a, a strong enough promo backstage, Chris, but... I, I it le- it legitimate it was fine like it was it was not offensive but it legitimately looked like she was reading her lines off of a cue card she was staring yes. beyond the interviewer the entire time never looked at him or the camera Oscar cut a far better promo calling Ripley a nightmare and saying she's re- ready to retake the title but I was thinking about Ripley reading off cue cards probably for the entire first hour of Raw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, not, I mean, you compare that promo to Asuka to what Charlotte does later in the show, and it was very, Rhea Ripley is, she's better. Than, I haven't seen a ton of her in NXT, but certainly, I don't know what was going on there. That was extremely weird. It felt like she was reading off, it felt like she was reading off a cue cards. So then Charlotte Flair comes out, and honestly, I actually thought this was, it may have been the highlight of the show. It was one of the highlights of the show, at least, and and. This wasn't even that spectacular, but it was good. Uh, she came out with some cool pyro and there was a light show for her in the ring. She actually looked and sounded refreshed by cutting a work to shoot promo, blaming extenuating circumstances and basically saying there were a bunch of booking screw ups uh, that didn't allow her to be at WrestleMania. She said the locker room was thrilled that she wasn't there. Then she named all of the women that were probably happy she wasn't there and said that none of them compared to her. She said that... Uh, The fans were terrible. She talked shit to them and that she doesn't steal opportunities from other women. She makes opportunities for herself. This just completely worked for me. I'd like to see her change up her ring gear into something very similar to what she was actually wearing. Um, I just thought she looked different with the long sleeve. Like, I don't know if that's a shirt or how you would describe that, a tight shirt and tight shorts or whatever, but it looked way different than her normal wrestling gear that we've seen her wearing for like the better part of a decade since she's been there seven years, which she clearly pointed out multiple times. So I'd like to see this little transformation. She's obviously far better as a heel character, but something about her seems slightly fresh. And I thought it was solid. Definitely at least one thumb up, if not two thumbs up. Yeah, great promo. Um, she She's always been in that category with Drew McIntyre where they just, they look 
even better in street clothes. Yes. I'm a big fan of. If and those aren't even street clothes, but they're just different. Just yeah. non-wrestling gear. You know, yeah. they I, I don't know if it's because they're, they're tall people or what, but they, they look like a big deal whenever you see them wearing normal clothes. So I think that added to it, like you said. Yeah, everything about this was great. Uh, Charlotte has come such a long way in so many ways. And her promo ability, she's delivered some of the best promos of her life in the four months of 2021. So she, she continues to get even better. I actually just scrolled down to the rest of my notes and I actually don't think it's close. I think this was the moment of the show. And, and yeah. again, it wasn't like a five-star promo, but it was the best thing on the show. Um, I think on Monday night. So credit to her for that and credit to them for allowing her to kind of cut a promo like that. Now, as far as the match, Rhea Ripley versus Asuka, obviously I've already said it twice. I didn't like that. They were running a rematch less than 24 hours, right? Uh, not sure how that made sense or why it would happen, why Ripley as champion would want it, why Asuka would expect she would get it. Ripley did get a pretty good entrance with some AR augmented reality graphics. Asuka got a run of offense, but botched a high-risk maneuver, just falling on the canvas. Ripley and Asuka had another huge botch, trying a crucifix bomb or a Samoan drop or something. It was a total botch city match. Like one after another, Asuka did a hip attack onto the ring apron, pushing Ripley into the ring post. Flair then predictably attacked both women when they were outside the ring, presumably setting up an obvious triple threat match for Backlash. This match was actually terrible. And in an odd change, Flair attacking saved us from seeing more of an actively terrible match. She got some good heat on her, I think, you know, with the fans. You know, we don't know because the fans weren't there. But something about Ripley and Asuka does not work. Their match at WrestleMania I ended up, that's one of a couple matches I watched back this morning because I was wondering if like my opinion would stand up when I wasn't watching it live. It wasn't as good, I think, from a star rating perspective as I said it was on the instant analysis. So I'm going to take back like probably a quarter star or maybe a little bit more. But Asuka largely carried Ripley, I think, through that match. But it's strange because Ripley doesn't need to be carried in matches. She's a really good wrestler. Something about them doesn't work and I really don't want to see it again. But Chris, it seems like we're going to get the obvious triple threat. And dude, I'm just going to say it right now. If they put the title back on Charlotte at Backlash, there is no saving her ever. <laughs> she cannot win the title again. It, the only way I would accept it is if she wins the title and then Ripley wins it back from her at SummerSlam. But then you have Rhea Ripley being a two-time women's champion in four months on the main roster. So no. I don't even think you can yeah. do that. So I just don't know what the booking is going to be, but holy shit, if they put the title back on Charlotte, it's going to be a disaster. No, I I don't want any title changes at Backlash, except for maybe the women's tag. There there were so many title changes at WrestleMania. You got to you got to let these breathe for a bit. And if Rhea Ripley's your star, she doesn't lose the belt a month after getting it. And that that was a problem with Sasha for a while, that she could never retain her championship. Imagine WWE having I'm sorry to interrupt, having. Flair pin Asuka, which would piss people off, and then take the title off Rhea Ripley for the second year in a row. Like, could you have, yes. like, I just, I see that happening and I'm angry and I, it hasn't even happened. It and, may not happen. You know? and, and like, I, I guess Rhea is kind of going to turn face here, kind of with that promo and stuff like that. She was technically the heel for the <sighs> WrestleMania match because they had to, because they had to kind of change things on the fly. So this was, this was a mess. This, like I said earlier, this is not how you, this is not how you present Rhea Ripley as your face of the division, new champion who debuted a couple weeks ago. You you can do this. You can do that separate from Charlotte 
And maybe Asuka's involved in a different match and Charlotte interferes or may, or, or, or maybe, maybe Charlotte interferes in their match and Ripley escapes Charlotte and Charlotte beats out Asuka and Ripley's, you know, you keep them separated. I just, that, that, that was a mess. I, I, I think kind of like with the other stuff, you could have reorganized this where maybe Charlotte interferes in the match first and that's where she makes her return. Yes. And, and Rhea Ripley runs away and then Charlotte cuts her promo about how yes. great she is. And, and, she, cuts and then it, you, she cuts it with them down injured outside the ring. Yeah, yes. or, or at least like, or like I said, Rhea, Rhea Ripley got away and she goes backstage or whatever. But do it after to, to build on that. I just, a lot of these things happen in reverse order and I think it took away from what they were trying to, the story they were trying to tell. Yeah, I mean, I know Ripley's been on Raw the last couple of weeks, but this was her debut as a big time champion. And they had her read a promo off a cue card prior to a sloppy match that ended in an interference. I would have much rather seen Rhea have a non-title match against Peyton Royce or another woman on the roster just to get her a win and for her to look tough and strong, win the match in three or four minutes and just, you know, look good like that. It was really sad and disappointing. I'm sure it'll get better. She's only 24. I was just shocked at the way they handled her on the show. And I don't actually mind Charlotte being involved back in the main event feud, primarily because what she said in her promo was true. She challenged Asuka just a couple of weeks ago, and it seemed like Asuka was about to accept. So it makes sense why she would go right back to that. It's mm-hmm. only been a couple of weeks. But this was just a, a mess top to bottom outside of Charlotte's promo, which again, shockingly, was the best thing on Raw. Uh, we'll move on to everything else that went down Monday night. There was both Alexa's Playground and Firefly Funhouse. Bliss sat on a swing and said she was lost until the darkness of the Fiend rescued her. Then when the Fiend was burned alive, she realized she never needed him and could do everything on her own. Although that doesn't make sense because the entire point of her taunting Randy is because Randy burned the Fiend alive and she missed him and was trying to bring him back. The whole jack-in-the-box was to bring the Fiend back. So if she didn't need him, why did she even care enough to try to bring him back? So she said she unlocked something truly evil inside of herself basically then used dark magic to distract the fiend and then showed a fiend-like doll with pigtails that she called Lily. Then at the end of the show, we had Firefly Funhouse return with Bray Wyatt. Wyatt kept trying to make his split with Bliss sound like a good thing. He said he was reborn and then started doing a televangelist type of gimmick. They went back to the old Firefly Funhouse, which could be good, but I have no idea where this is going. It seems clear to me like Bliss and Wyatt are actually completely split and will have nothing to do with each other. And that the Fiend was just used to give her a rub and a new gimmick change, not to remain in a storyline after WrestleMania. Yeah, I I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, credit to Alexa Bliss for doing a hell of a job with that promo. She is- It was good, yeah. She is so talented, but- as for what this means in the storyline, I have no clue. Now we're adding more characters with Lily. I I don't know. I don't really have anything other to say than this is. A, it was really disappointing to not get a payoff at WrestleMania, and now I don't know what's happening here. Uh, again with Bray, it was nice seeing him back in the old Firefly Funhouse, and you remember that he's such a creative guy, and they do so many cool things with that. I feel like they should do a lot more stuff with that Bray than they do with the Fiend. Mm-hmm. Cause there's just so many different avenues you can take it. So I don't know. This is kind of whatever I, I'm, I'm not out on it, but I'm just, I'm not going to get into it yet. 
that's fair enough. I mean, I think we both were really knocked down a peg. We, we've been trying to tell people that The Fiend was actually good, even though some people didn't like it. And they just failed us in such a major way at WrestleMania that we can't even say that anymore. Like, we have to now wait for them to build up the storyline again. The problem is every time they build up a storyline, it kind of ends in disappointment, right? Yeah. Um, I will say that I like on a three-hour show having something different. And The Fiend and Alexa Bliss is something different. But I just don't really know if it's going to get to a place now where it's going to retain my interest. Because they lost that interest at WrestleMania and they're really going to have to work to gain it back again. Um, some really funny Firefly Funhouses may work. Bliss starting to wrestle again and beat people may work. But now, instead of having one fiend, you basically have two. Yeah. But they're different and not related to each other. So now you have a male and a female on the same show who can't be beat, except they are beat. And neither of them really should go after the world championship. But the fiend has in the past. So that means Alexa Bliss might now. And you just brought Rhea Ripley over. So, yeah, uh, not my, enthusiastic my, my, yeah. about it. Yeah, I mean, I just hope I, I hope it gets to a point. I wanted this before where basically Nikki Cross saves the real Alexa Bliss. Like, right. It's, right. it's an exorcism or, or she's able to pull her friend out, do something fun like that. Otherwise, I don't really know what else you can do. The Nikki Cross deal does need to be the resolution at the end of the day. And if Lily is maybe like a version of Nikki Cross, almost like a voodoo doll or something, maybe that could possibly work where like then Nikki ends up saving her. I do agree with that. That's the end of that storyline for sure. But how long is it going to be until we get there? And will we ever get there? Those are the questions that remain unanswered. Uh, we'll move over. We'll stay with the women to the women's tag team title picture, I guess. Baszler and Jax, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler were backstage re-watching Mandy Rose's fall at WrestleMania and laughing at her. Rose showed up, surprised Jax with a smack across the face, and then ran her into a steel post with Dana Brooke, and Nia Jax later cut a really angry promo demanding retribution. So if we pause here, Chris, I loved it. We got, the, you know, they showed the moment. I know that WWE frequently, when something funny happens, they lean into it and try to make it more comedy as opposed to just letting it go. But it showed aggression from Mandy Rose and their team. And it showed just something a little bit different and gave a reason to start a new feud. So if you paused everything right here, I would say, you know what? I like what they did. Uh, they were able to take out Nia Jax. That never happens. Good on them. I'm excited for a future women's tag team championship match. Yes. And also the next time they did a promo backstage with Nia and Shayna and they said, they showed the clip of what happened earlier. And, and Naya goes, was it even necessary to play that? It happened 20 minutes ago. I, I burst out laughing. It was funny. Yeah. Said that. That, that, was, that was legitimately funny. Um, but up to that point, yeah, it was, it was fine. So those first two things, good. But in typical raw fashion, figured out a way to make it. Mm. Jax uh, is entering the ring and she trips on the rope. And the women kind of smirk at her a little bit, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. Uh, Mandy had a really solid hot tag, actually. And the match was rolling. She was hitting some knees and kind of getting over on Jax. And I'm like, okay, they're going to have these women win a non-title match. This is great. When Jax gets knocked outside, she tries to come back in and slips off the ring apron, leading the sexy muscle friends to start laughing at her. Then Nia Jax gets so angry that she storms back into the ring. So Rose and Brooke dip out of the ring and purposely lose in a double countout 
because presumably Jax is so angry. Brooks like it's not worth it to go back in there. Why? Because you're going to get your ass beat or because you already won because your goal was to make her angry and embarrassed as opposed to, I don't know, win a match and earn a tag team championship shot. Commentary sold it as smart that they avoided her because she was so angry. <sighs> Presumably saying that them getting under her skin is better than actually winning the match. Hey, well, you know what I think of that? Zero point zero. The storyline is that Rose can laugh off a mistake while Jax cannot. It's like they wanted to lean into the WrestleMania deal, but leaned way too far into it and therefore tipped over. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I'll admit that it was unique and a little bit different but different and unique doesn't make something good. I do like that Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke seem to be getting another chance at the titles here, which we talked about, what, six months ago. It seemed like they were being poised to win them and never did because of other circumstances. But I don't have any confidence that they're going to do a title change. So if I knew that this was going to end in a title change, maybe I'd like it a little bit more. But holy shit, they took something that looked like it was going somewhere and just fucking stomped on it. And I was pissed. I didn't even mean to say uh, the F word right there. <laughs> the, 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 that moment was the worst thing that happened on the show. It, it, it is a wrestling show. You fight people. And it's better that they ran away because their opponent was mad? Like, what? Who who came up with this? Or that they who, embarrassed her or something like that. Who, I don't know. Who, yeah. Like, I was fine with all the slipping. Honestly, I, I, I thought that was actually a good way to play off of everything that happened, that Nia kept slipping. But holy crap, that finish was one of the most garbage things I've seen on wrestling in a long time. And this was, it was a couple months ago or something like that where comment, uh, there was an interview and they interviewed Dana and Mandy and they said, Hey, why aren't you in the tag title picture? Aren't you interested? And they, Sexy Muscle Friends essentially said, well, just because we're not trying to win the championship doesn't mean it doesn't matter to us, which didn't make sense then. And now you have this playing out. It's like, what is the end goal for these women's tag team wrestlers? Do they want to win the belts or not? Why are they here? And just complete... The, that decision at the end of that match was one of the dumbest things I've seen in wrestling in quite some time. Yeah. You can yourself too. It was just, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> no. uh, all right. The, uh, we also had a return of the Viking Raiders. Great. Welcome back. Like, not angry that they returned, but they are, if you're doing a real Raw after WrestleMania, they're the third return. You get the really big name, the other person you didn't expect, and then the Viking Raiders. Oh, cool. The Viking Raiders are back. And they have a match and they win. And everyone's happy. This was the only big return. I kept hoping, dude, that during the men's main event segment, especially when the promo segment was happening, that all those guys would be talking and then Keith Lee's music would hit. Now, I know that it's a medical deal. He is, he's not cleared. So you can't just help that and you can't force that into reality. But it felt like that was happening. And I was like, oh, man, we're going to get Keith Lee. We didn't get Keith Lee. We did get the Viking Raiders. They showed so little care for Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin that they were back to being no entrance jobbers. Now, they were using Alexander's old Titantron, which is just his name and logo, by the way, in purple, and his old music. He does have the best theme in all of WWE. So I don't mind that they're using the music, but they don't have a name. They don't have a different look. They're still wearing their Hurt Business tights. 
He has a purple logo and they didn't even get an entrance. Uh, Viking Raiders are there. You knew what would happen as soon as you saw the matchup. Ivar got the hot tag and Eric covered for the win after the Viking experience. These guys, Alexander and Benjamin, went from champions to tag team jobbers in three weeks purely because Vince wanted to break up the Hurt Business. It's ridiculous. When, when, I, when they popped up on my screen and I saw them, so oh, good, Cedric and Shelton. I want them to get something going. Let's see what they got here. And then we get the Viking Raiders entrance, and my first reaction was, oh, no. Because like I'm happy to see them back, but I instantly knew what this was going to be. You knew they were going to get essentially squashed, and... Man, that sucks. I don't. There's nothing else to really say other than it really sucks that these guys, like you said, went from champions to chumps in three weeks through no fault of their own. And, and then, like we said, you have another tag team now with MVP and Lashley. Just, just a mess. Just put these guys back together. They're all better for it. I don't. Even the last two weeks when they were already split from her business, uh, Alexander's, you know, jacking uh, MVP up against a, yeah. you know, a road case. They're showing aggression. They're getting angry. They're getting FaceTime. So you're like, okay, they're split, but maybe they're, they're going to stick with them. Like there's a little hope that they're not going to forget these guys are really good. They don't care. Um, no. I, I think this is it. I, I mean, shit, man. Cedric Alexander, you know, I'm sure that there was a large part of him that for a period of time was like, look, I'm going to be done with WWE when my contract's up. I'm sure AEW will hire me. My wife's there. I'm going to go over. And then all of a sudden, he gets something to sink his teeth into and totally revitalizes his career. And now, if you're him, you're thinking back to, well, they probably won't have anything for me. I'll probably have to go to AEW or just bite the bullet and keep doing what I'm doing here. Like, it is so depressing as someone who liked the Hurt Business to see these guys dealt this hand. And then the Viking Raiders, I did not expect them to totally get repackaged in any way. Because, I mean, it is their gimmick and it's been their gimmick. I mean, even as War Machine, they they didn't have the Viking helmets, but they were basically the same guys. They don't really change their moveset or anything. But they could have done something different with them. Like they could have, after the match was over, done a backstage segment where they're a little bit more serious. Or they cut a promo after the match, after the win. We're going after the tag team titles or really anything they could have done. And instead it was just... Oh, the Viking Raiders are back. They won. All right, forget that happened. Let's move on. So the one return slash debut they had, and it wasn't even impactful. We got Miz TV with Maurice, which was literally an in-ring segment to promote their reality show. I know in, they tried to pass it off as like tongue in cheek, but it wasn't. It was just blatantly there to promote that they had a reality show, the new season debuting after Raw. Miz put over Bad Bunny without actually putting him over. Damian Priest came out and said that Miz um, basically sucked. And Miz said, hey, Damian Priest, you were overshadowed by Bad Bunny in your WrestleMania match. Miz and John Morrison then both challenged Priest to one-on-one matches. So he basically, he knew a handicap match challenge was coming. He just accepted it. So now you have Priest versus Miz and Morrison. I was in a bad mood about the booking, but it actually ended up being a pretty good match, I must say. Priest dominated both of them, hit all of his signature moves, and knocked Morrison out with his finisher, hit the lights. He was about to do the same to Miz when Maurice pulled Miz out of the ring by his feet. Then she distracted Priest, and Priest, in a very babyface way, was just like, hey, please get down from the ropes. Like, I'm trying to win this match. Mm-hmm. Like, you're really messing with me. I thought it was really funny. And you usually they yell or they get frustrated or whatever, but it showed a lot of character from Priest, so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but Miz basically rolled him up from behind, caught him, 
and put his feet not on the bottom rope or the middle rope, but on the top rope for full leverage for the win by cheating. I thought it was a really good way to give The Miz a win back while simultaneously making Priest look strong as long as he gets what we would expect to be one-on-one wins with Morrison and then eventually Miz, maybe even The Miz at Backlash. Ultimately, I'm okay with this. WrestleMania Backlash. WrestleMania Backlash. Ultimately, I would be okay with this booking for Priest, but it needs to basically end inside of the next month. Yeah, no, actually, I thought this was, like you said, booked very well. You, you, You didn't have Miz and Morrison lose to a single wrestler, but they were in their street clothes and underwear, so it made sense that Priest had the upper hand at times. So everything made sense, and I hope that's kind of like what you said happens moving forward. I did notice... It seemed like Miz kind of insulted Morrison a couple times, kind of maybe hinting down the road at maybe a potential breakup there. I don't know. It, it happened a couple times. Uh, maybe that's planting seeds. I don't know, but this was it was fine. I didn't take it that way, but who knows? We'll see down the line, maybe, if you are right. And we will get out of here on this. New Day against Elias and Jackson Riker. Each team made fun of the other one for being beaten down by a monster, which actually was kind of smart. Uh, <laughs> Kofi Kingston did a DMX impression. Xavier Woods referenced some cartoon where there's a lemon that screams. Uh, You guys will probably rip me for not being like hip and modern enough to know this really random thing that someone someone DM'd me a video clip and I saw it. I was like, okay, people like that. That's fine. Um, Elias and Riker got a near fall with a vertical suplex onto Riker's knee, which I thought was a pretty cool move. But New Day eventually beat Elias with Daybreak, another move that was not called out by Corey, was not called out by Adnan Burke or anyone just... Oh, wow. Great stomp. No, it's Daybreak. It's their finisher. They've used it forever. It's had a name forever. Uh, So match was fine. You know, Elias and Riker, I don't really care about them. So doing this with them is fine. New Day getting a win back worked. And I tweeted a six minute post-show promo video clip, whatever you want to call it, that New Day did 100% improv on our Twitter at Getting Overcast. That was exceptionally entertaining and funny. So I do suggest you go back and watch that. But Chris, for me, this was unoffensive. That's the best really way I can describe it. Yeah, there's not really much to say. Like we already said, it's weird that we didn't get AJ and Omos and we got this instead, but whatever. No Seamus cutting a promo, even pre-taped. No AJ, no Omos. It's just a big shrug of what the hell was this Raw? Uh, I don't know what the hell that Raw was, but I do know what this show was. It was us breaking down that Raw after WrestleMania and sharing with you our thoughts on some fallout from WrestleMania 37. We've done a lot of WWE talking over the last two days. The Silver King is absolutely exhausted. So we are going to get out of this show. What is coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast on Thursday, we will be back to talk all things NXT and AEW. Yes, even though NXT is Tuesday this week and going forward, I'm not going to do separate episodes for NXT and AEW. It just does not make sense. We will do our combined NXT and AEW episode every single Thursday, as we always have. And then we will be back next Tuesday, breaking down the SmackDown after WrestleMania. Maybe that will be better than the Raw after WrestleMania, as well as next week's Raw on Tuesday's normal WWE show. I appreciate all of you listening to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Our WrestleMania instant analysis was the most listened to show in a single day in podcast history. 
uh, basically the day of Monday. I really appreciate all of that. Hopefully you guys were not too hungover from that show where you decided not to listen to this one. Make sure you, you uh, listen to the NXT and AEW show on Thursday. And it's been a while since we've done this, but WrestleMania is over. So for Chris Benini, the Silver King says goodbye. That means there's only one person left to send you out of here. Thank you all for listening. I'm going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.